Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. For the next six weeks or so, The Big Ticket is coming to you twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today's first guest is Laverne Cox. I sit down with the trailblazing trans actor, producer, singer, dancer, and activist to talk about Disclosure, the new Netflix documentary about the history of transgender representation in film and television. Cox opens up about coping during the pandemic, Black Lives Matter, and the possibility of her running for political office one day. Then later, Laura Linney, the three-time Emmy winner, is talking about the latest season of Ozark and how she hopes the series will get even darker than it already is. Laverne Cox and Laura Linney are coming up on today's Big Ticket. Stick around. Welcome back to the Big Ticket. Laverne Cox has been blazing trails ever since her breakout Emmy-nominated work on Orange is the New Black. Now she's an executive producer of Disclosure, Netflix's new doc about transgender representation in film and television. Here's Laverne Cox. Hi. Here I am. Hi, darling. How are you, honey? I'm good. How are you doing? I am well. I'm in the middle of making an Instagram post (laughs) (laughs) about um, a a clip from this brilliant filmmaker, um, an artist and activist named Tourmaline. She directed um, Happy Birthday, Marsha P. Johnson. And there's this beautiful um, video that she shared on Twitter today where I'm from an Occupy Wall Street rally from 2011 Mm where she contends that the first time the chant Whose Streets, Our Streets was chanted was at the 1969 Stonewall Rebellion. This is what she claims, and I have not been able to independently verify (laughs) her research, but she's she's brilliant and I trust her. So I want to share that because I think as people are marching right now, I think people forget that that black people are LGBT, you know, are also LGBTQ, that we've been in this fight for a very long time and have all, in many ways been at the forefront. I don't know. Someone last night on Facebook posted, it's from the Library of Congress, it's footage of the first gay pride parade in New York in 1970. Yes. Oh, yes. I've and seen, I've seen I, some I of that footage. Chill. I've seen that footage. I used to host a show for the LGBT Community Center Back in the day, 2005-ish maybe, um, called 
out at the center called out at the center. It was like a public access show. I think some of the episodes are on YouTube now. And we covered like what was going on in the LGBTQ plus community um, for like that month. And I was like a part of sev- one of several rotating hosts. And they talked about um, the first um, Christopher Street March. It was called the Christopher Street uh, Liberation March, I believe. Yeah. 1970 and they show footage and so i like you know maybe 15 years ago i saw that footage and was just uh-huh. blown away by it. isn't it like a <sighs> i think i could get emotional first of all i think of how many men in that march died really fucking young yeah yeah um yeah and i think about it and God, I don't know why I'm so emotional today. Um, it's an emotional time, Mark. It just it, it really if is. You're right. not feeling deeply right now. I don't know what to say to you, and it's okay. It really is okay because these times are unprecedented, extraordinary. My therapist defines trauma as too much, too fast, too soon. And you know, in, a, in some ways, for the, in these fights for justice, is where they're way overdue. But like our nervous systems, when we take in information, when we have a physical trauma, emotional trauma, and it's too much, too fast, too soon, our nervous systems are overwhelmed, and it's 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 too much. And mm-hmm. so it's just let's take a breath. Mm. Thanks. I'm glad I did therapy. <laughs> um, yeah, it's been it's been a whirlwind. Um, how are you doing? How where are you? What is your world like right now? And how are you coping? I am, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm in my home, my little condo in um, LA. Alone, I live alone. I'm single. I don't have a housemate. I've been quarantined alone for like, now it's like three months. Oh my God. It's like three months. Girl, it's three months. Uh, <laughs> um, I, how am I taking care of myself? I, you know, I would, Maybe about a month ago, maybe four or five weeks ago, I just, I, I was having like sort of little breakdowns. But at week 23, I had like waking up with panic attacks and was just, it was like, it started to get crazy because I wasn't leaving my house. Like I didn't leave my building for like 20, 23 days. And um, then I had to like, well, like I got to get out of here. So masked and gloved, masked and gloved and um, whatnot. And then I realized about four or five weeks ago, this is, this has to be a spiritual opportunity. This has to be a moment for me to go inside, to really deepen my um, meditative practice, to deepen my self-care practices. Let me see if I can mute these notifications. It was, so I, I've really been, I've really made my priority um, self-care. Um, mm-hmm. So, and that looks like meditation for me. That looks like um, I, the therapy, therapy that I do is somatic therapy that's based in the community resiliency model or CRIM. And that um, therapeutic process is all about resetting your nervous system. There's six great, easy to use, but hard to like implement. Like it takes practice to implement um, six tools um, that can help reset your nervous system. Um, mm. Shift stay, help now, resourcing, gesturing, um, um, tracking. And I always forget the sixth one, but um yeah, and I've been doing that. I have therapy every week, um, sometimes twice a week. And I really, I think the biggest piece for me to even be able to track what's going on in my nervous system is I have to slow myself down. I race. I'm very, even right now, I talk really fast. I think really fast. And so I have to, like, just take moments throughout the day and slow myself down and literally do a check-in with everything that's going on in my body. 
breathe and I can just take a moment to reset. I can just, I'm doing it right now. I'm just taking, I'm mm-hmm. looking around. Right now I'm grounding. So I'm connecting to the breath. I'm looking around, I'm feeling my, my, my ass in this chair. I'm, I'm looking at the beautiful lights and the messy glam room because I've been doing so much filming in here. Um, taking it in and I'm, I'm so slowing myself down. It's really been important saying no, not making sure I don't overwhelm myself, knowing what my boundaries are, even though there is a call to action right now and I'm, I'm trying to take action the way that I can. I am not going to be able to really be a service to anyone if I am emotionally depleted, if I'm, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup. Right. So I have to do everything I can to fill up my cup. And so I, it's teaching me boundaries in, a, in, in an even new, newer way um, mm. right now because I, because it's so delicate right now, I have to prioritize being okay because I've, because it's, it's like, I could start crying. I mean, it's just so, it's so much. I mean, this week mm-hmm. with George Floyd's murder, um, Ayanna Dior, the um, black trans woman who was beaten in Minneapolis, the same yeah. place where I was beaten on camera. Oh. Mm. Mm. It's, it's, it's too much. Um, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's tough and I'm trying to figure like, where's my place in it? Where, what's my space, mm-hmm. you know, for me, what I love about being a journalist is telling stories. Yeah. Know, so I get on the phone or whatever we're on, I'm not even sure. <laughs> 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 With you and get stories and tell yeah. other people's stories. That's what I think I'm, you know, okay doing. I'm okay at it. Um, and, you know, I have a brown husband and I think about it, you know, the curfew comes. I'm like, I don't want my brown husband on the street. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I just, and it's, um, it's, yeah. What I do, what I'm happy about, and, and I wanted you to talk about this a little bit, is we are seeing the the killing, the murder of trans people, particularly trans women of color, getting more attention than than I than I had noticed in the past, and things like this happen. Do you find that, or am I just sort of looking for a silver lining? You know it was I mean? interesting. It was interesting seeing. I didn't share the video of um, Iana's um, beating, but it was interesting seeing how many non-LGBTQ people I saw sharing it. Um, and so that was. I mean, it's just disturbing to watch. I mean, it's it's it's. it's I don't share things like that. I just I can't. Um, but. If we can't connect in the same week that George Floyd is murdered by a police in Minneapolis, and in the same that same week, Iana Dior, thank God, survived, but is beaten by 30 plus men and women in the same city where George Floyd was murdered, and it happens on camera, and we cannot see the connection between the Black life of Iana Dior and the Black life of George Floyd. I don't know what to say to us. So, um... I think I, I, I don't mean it's and it's Pride Month and it's so deep because it's, it's always like during Pride Month these these um, the violence like it always escalates during Pride Month always and I don't know if it's getting more attention but it's still it's getting even more attention I I was um 
I was talking to my voice teacher. Um, he's a 79-year-old um, Jewish gay man. Uh, no, he's not. He's saying he's 75. Excuse me. That's <laughs> like, an age Irish. He's an Irish stiff. He's, in, um, he, he's a native New Yorker, born and raised there. But he's in Amsterdam with his husband now. We have voice lessons when I can um, fit it in. And he was, I was telling him about Yana's uh, case. He was like, I don't see that on the news. I don't see that in the New York Times. And so... We do have a long way to go in terms of covering the violence against trans people. Um, a really, really long ways to go. So I, I, it's not, I mean, it's not enough. It's just not enough. And it needs to stop. And it needs to stop. And, it, and I think I rewatched, I did a, um, I executive produced a documentary called Free CC um, that premiered a few years back. And I rewatched it this week, and I was thinking of Cece when she she survived an attack that also happened in Minneapolis. That was the reason I was rewatching wow. it. And um, her attack happened from a group of white supremacists um, in front of um, Schooner, I think it was Schooner's Tavern is what it was called, in 2011. And one of her attackers ended up dead, and Cece ended up in jail. And so she was attacked by this group of white supremacists as a black trans woman of color, and um, racist slurs were one of the first things she heard during that attack. Iyana was um, attacked by a group of people of color, all black people, black, non-transgender, cisgender men and women who attacked her. George Floyd was attacked. So it's like, so if you are a trans woman of color, you are experiencing violence from um, white people, a white supremacist system, you're experiencing it from black people, you're experiencing it from the criminal justice system. Tony McDade was um, murdered by the police of black trans man um, the same week that George Floyd was. So we are getting it from, all ends and from all sides. And so I think that everybody who is marginalized, and so, and, I, and it's, it's mostly, I think that we're talking LGBTQIA people, we're talking people of color, all colors, we're talking working class people, we're talking people with disabilities, we're talking people who um, are, are immigrants. If we, if any of us have issues with any of those other groups that I just mentioned, we, we're part of the problem. I, I really am going to say that because divide and conquer is what, um, is what oppressors use to divide marginalized people. And so, and so if there's ever a time a group of Black folks in the week that George Floyd was murdered are beating up a Black trans woman, are you kidding me? That is absolutely ridiculous. So we cannot be allowed any, like, any ism, any transphobia, any homophobia, any ableism, any class bias to divide us. It's ridiculous because the people in power get to stay in power. This week, Lindsey Graham gets on the Senate floor. He has this whole speech about Russia and, and Strzok and Page. And I'm like, I'm like, this week, I'm like, he's like, makes this long speech about investigating the FBI for... <laughs> right now, right now, really, right now. Let me ask you, as a black woman in Hollywood, we've heard. I'm in Hollywood. I'm still in Hollywood. I guess. Yes, you are, girl. No matter whatever you say, you're in Hollywood. Um, we've seen a lot of media companies issue statements, Instagram posts. We have to do better. We could do better. Hmm. Are they? Is it just lip service? It's, I say yes and no. I think I, I say yes. I think there's been progress. When I see, when I tune into Insecure on Sunday and, and Issa Rae is running her own show, when I, when I 
tune in to Queen Sugar or go to work on before this um, uh, coronavirus hit. I was working on Shonda Rhimes' Inventing Anna, her first show for Netflix. Shonda Rhimes has this um, huge deal at Netflix. Um, I think about, you know, I just did something with Justin Simeon. When I think about those people, when I think about the documentary disclosure that's premiering on Netflix June 19th, I think that there it has been some progress culturally. And I think, and, and, and what I do feel hardened by is I do feel like the, um, our community, um, the entertainment industry, has... Is, try, is really, really trying. And there's I see tangible efforts to diversify media in front of and behind the camera. Um, and I see a desire to try and to get better. I do see that. Um, and I see that from my position. I'm very privileged. Other people who are not, and I think it's important, always important to like qualify that, other people are gonna say different things. I have girlfriends who are also trans, who feel like they're still trying to get their foot in the door. They, they can't, they're trans um, actors who can't audition for um, um, trans parts and they can't audition for non-trans parts. Like, you know, cause some of them are like, if you're um, a person of color, a lot of the trans parts are going to people of color right now. So there's always some, there's always something, right? And there's always more that we can be doing. And so I, I, I see that there is an effort and I see that, that folks are trying. I still think we need to be doing more for, um, for people with disabilities in our industry, in terms of visibility, in terms of access um, in front of and behind the camera, um, accessibility issues are, are, are still um, super important. And I think the piece too is like, what does it mean to usher in? What I what I love, one of the things I love about, and I'm gonna just talk about my project, but one of the things I love about Disclosure, um, our doc that's premiering on, on Netflix June 19. Absolute, by the way, before you even start talking about it, it's incredible. Oh, you it's saw really, it? I watched that. Oh, it's really thank you for great. watching. Thank you. And just, I mean, Lily Wachowski, I mean, yeah. just to hear her talking, I mean, she doesn't talk that often. We don't no, see that. No, no. it's really, you did, you taught me a lot. You taught me a lot. Thank you. That was that was our director, Sam, and all of the incredible trans people who appear on screen as contributors. We call them contributors, but they're our cast. The, everyone who appears on screen in Disclosure is trans. Most of the people who appear, who uh, work behind the scenes are also trans. And in the case when we couldn't uh, find a trans person to fill a, a role, we had a fellowship program where the uh, non-trans person would train the trans person. And so that... Wow. I, I wish that were my idea. That was um, Sam Fader, our brilliant director's idea. And the idea of that is about cultivating um, talent, diverse talent, trans talent that can work in the industry behind the scenes. And I think that I'm, I, as I have been working on developing other things, and I want to try to bring some something like this model into other productions I do. And it's going to be tricky. Our, that is a tricky production model, but I'm so proud of that. And I think we can begin as an industry to think about how do we bring in, and I've seen, I've been involved in some of these conversations, how do we bring in people from different backgrounds um, and experiences, give them the training, get them what they need, and not not just to be actors and, right. and whatever, but directors and grips and, and lighting designers and all the things that, hap that um, happen in the film industry. And it makes a difference. And be, it makes and, a difference who's making something. Well, and getting those people to be the decision makers. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what, what has been so wonderful about working, working with Sam, but then I was, um, but working on other projects and being, being 
we're developing, like we were working on, there's a script that we're, um, have, we're, that we're developing right now. And I just attached myself to it and there, there were notes that were being made in the script. And so I like, you know, went in and made these you know, copious notes on things. Some of them were translated and some of them were just story related. And it felt really empowering to have my co-producers, the writers say, oh my God, that's a brilliant idea. I didn't think of that. And not just with trans stuff, but just other story, just basic story stuff. And to have um, a level of control and um, power in terms of the decision, in terms of how a story is told, who has that power really makes a huge difference. I've seen it over and over again in projects that I've gotten to produce over and over again. I know, I know we don't have that much time left, but I wanted to ask you, what does pride mean to you right now? It's a really interesting question right now. Um, pride for me, pride for me is always about remembering the people who paved the way for me and, and, and being, trying to be intersectional about that. I feel like every, ever since I, you know, sort of came to the attention of a lot of people because of Orange is New Black, I've been talking about Sylvia Rivera, I've been talking about Marsha P. Johnson, I've been talking about the um, trans and gender non-conforming people of color, working class, queer people who were at the Stonewall riots. You know, the Stone Stonewall was not this, from my understanding of history, it was not this sort of mainstream, you know, yuppie, white, gay bar. It was a place where street hustlers and often homeless LGBTQ folks gathered often after, you know, hustling on the streets in various capacities. And they would gather, Ms. Major Griffith Gracie says, they would go to Stonewall and they'd be like, how much money did you make tonight? You know, it was that kind of bar. So it was not this place that we've seen whitewashed in these movies, right? right. And so I think this year, for me, Pride has to be about the most marginalized people in our community. It has to be about poor and working class, um, trans, uh, LGBTQIA people, tra uh, people who are homeless during COVID-19. So many um, homeless queer youth are struggling in different in, in ways that we can't even imagine because of this um, um, virus. I, we our focus has to be on people who are the most marginalized. And so that, because then it can't just be about this corporate, this corporatized kind of let's like, you know, commodify and corporatize pride, which it has been for so long. And there's, I think there's, honestly, I think there's good things about that, to be honest. I do think there's good things about that. However, putting Laverne Cox on a billboard or putting like a few gay folks or trans folks or bi folks in positions of power is not enough. We have to change systems. And so pride needs to be linked to Black Lives Matter. It, we need to, we need to be, it needs to be linked to a movement for poor and working people. They need to be deeply connected. It needs to be connected to a feminist movement as well. They all need to be connected because if we can really bring all of these movements together, then that is, and that, that's the coalition we need to um, really have a re the revolution that we need. Are you hopeful? I am. I am. I would, what Cornel West said on CNN last week with Anson Cooper is that if, if people were not out in the streets rioting and uprising after seeing what we saw in Minneapolis, mm. that would be the problem. At least, at least people are, have been like, no more. 
And so how do we keep that energy? How do we uh, continue it? So that we, you know, with the fatigue, I'm already, girl, I'm already tired. <laughs> so how do we keep that energy into November and beyond? How do we hold the Democratic Party accountable? Um, how do we hold them accountable with, because they're just as corporate and just as like corrupt as like Republicans. Not as corrupt as Republicans. I'm just going to say it. I don't like talking in partisan terms. I really don't. But we just—it just needs to be said right now. Right. The Democrat, the Democratic Party, and I've always been a registered independent. I changed my registration to Democrat this year, holding my nose and kind of stick to my stomach because I want to be able to vote in primaries now. Um, I'm still registered in New York, and there's no open primaries there, and that's a whole other issue. But the the Democratic Party needs to get get their shit together and. We have to change. I mean, just on the political um, level, we have to change money in politics because all of the, the Republicans and Democrats are all bought up. The fact that corporations got their bailout, they got their trillion dollar plus bailout, girl, and, and poor and working people are still waiting for, a, a, they're like, what? dollars. They're wait, yeah, they're waiting for their coins. That tells you everything you need to know about both parties. They were like, we got to get in here and save these corporations, girl. We got to make it happen for the corporations. The corporations get their paycheck, and then they're, where are, they're not even in Washington. I, I'm sorry. I, I don't know who I'm going to piss off at. How can Nancy Pelosi, not during a global pandemic, not call everybody back to Washington? This is an emergency. It is a national emergency. I get a mask on, girl. Get some red, big, figure out social distancing. Get it, figure it out. Get I can't. I I girl. I can't. I, I have no. I, it's it's really shocking. It's really shocking. We cannot forget that in the middle of this global pandemic, this is how both parties they stayed home, girl. They stayed home oh. when people are starving, when people are losing their jobs, when people are dying. They just stayed. They stayed home. They were like, we could, I don't know. What to say. They stayed home, bitch. Really? <laughs> so, so when? Are you, so when are you running for office? I, girl, can you imagine? Yes, can you I imagine can. That, But can you imagine them playing this video when I run for office? Can you imagine them playing my glam room videos and me dancing around in a bikini when I run for office, dancing around in a bikini in my glam room <laughs> in lingerie? This lady wants to be in Congress, girl. <laughs> Okay, yeah, I'd vote for you, but you got a point. <laughs> Thank you for this, of course. Uh, it was good seeing you. Good to um, see you too, darling. And hopefully we'll see each other in person. That was Laverne Cox. Disclosure premieres on Netflix on June 19th. I'm going to take a short break, but stick around. Coming up, I chat with Ozark star Laura Linney. Find out what she says about following in co-star Jason Bateman's directing footsteps. Okay, let's go. So we're supposed to be sticking to the script. But we ain't. Because <laughs> that's just not what we do. It's your girl, Tim Bam, y'all. And it's AJ Hey, And we're giving a whole bunch of good, bad advice. And a lot of bad, great <laughs> advice. <laughs> we're trying to teach you how to say when, how, and how much, y'all. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. Now, that doesn't always have to apply to your sex life, ladies. It can absolutely apply to your career. Unless your sex life is your career, then it's interchangeable. <laughs> We're talking about a whole lot of sex. I love the sex. Hey, and a bunch of money. We love the money and relationships. Yeah, we're going to work on that. 
So listen to our new show, We Talk Back, every Thursday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Laura Linney is certainly on her way to picking up another Emmy nomination for her work as Wendy on Netflix Ozark. To say this season is the darkest one yet is an understatement. Spoiler alert, Wendy orders the killing of her own brother. And get this, Linney hopes next season is even darker. I caught up with Linney a couple of weeks into COVID-19 stay-at-home orders. Here's Laura Linney. Hi, Laura Linney. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm good. So let's talk about this season. Season three, it's, it gets rough. <laughs> there, there's a lot going on. There's no question about that. I just, I have to ask, I know this sounds like a simple question, but do you like Wendy? Uh, would I want to be friends with Wendy? No. <laughs> do I like uh, representing Wendy? Do I like portraying <laughs> Wendy? Absolutely. I, I love, what? I love this part. I love this job. I love the people I work with. It's an exceptional experience. Um, but would I, would I want to know her? Absolutely not. So when you leave, you know, a day of filming Ozark, how do you wash that off? Cause it's, I mean, it's dark, it's grim. It's, you know, I yeah, but we all, we're all smile having too often. Time. We're having such a good time. <laughs> Just <laughs> so it, it, it doesn't, if we were having a terrible time, if we didn't like each other, mm. if the conditions were bad, <laughs> if we were treated well by our studio or our network or our producers, if we hated the writing, it would stick to you. But because right. It is such a wonderful group and such a skilled group of people who, you know, are, are, are proud of each other and proud of what we're doing and, and proud to be doing it together. It's, it's really, mm. it's really nice. Now that's not to say you're not exhausted at the end of the day, which we right. are. And we were all very tired at the end of this, at the, of this season. Cause it was, you know, navigating choppy water um, emotionally mm. anyway. Um, but it's, it's just a joy to do. So there's, there's no grievance at all. There's no, there's, there's mm -hmm. nothing torturous about being on o Ozark. Nothing. Does, does the humor get dark on set? Are you cracking like really dark jokes? To sort of, <laughs> you know, it ease, ease the grimness. <laughs> really? You know, it's, oh. you know, when, when the cameras are rolling, we're very focused and we're very, um, you know, we have our eye on the target, but, you know, otherwise right. we're just uh, trying to savor every moment of the life of the series because you never know how long these things will mm. last and you you can hope that it will go for a long time, but you never know. So I think everyone's just trying to enjoy it while we got it. And when, when do you first become aware of where the story is going? Or was it at season one? They said, this is, you know, this is the, the outline. This is where it's going to go. Or are you finding out script by script? It's a little of both, to be honest. And mm. I think we all, we all so trust our showrunner, Chris Mundy, and his amazing group mm. of writers. Um, and Chris is the lead <laughs> writer on this as well. That, I, I, you know, I just, am, I just want to do what the man 
wants the show to be. You know, I just want to do whatever mm. he wants me to do. So I, uh, I completely trust him. And so I have, sometimes I have a vague idea of the arc of the show, but very minimal. And then it gets flushed right. out every time there's a script that's, that's handed, handed to us. We get the details. Of it. So mm. um, it's exciting. It's exciting because you're just, you're just excited to see where it's going. So let's talk about Tom and uh, playing Ben, your brother yeah, in the show. Yeah. Did you know Wendy had a brother? Well, we did know Wendy had a brother because he's mentioned in the first season mm. when they realized mm. that um, that Jonah has been, you know, they they think he's been murdering animals and cutting them up and, and all of that in the first season. Uh, right, There's right. a reference made to the fact that Wendy has a brother who's mentally ill. And the fear is that mm. Jonah has inherited some of that, you know, damaged DNA mm. of mental illness. So there's right. reference to that right. in the first season. Did you know that we'd, we would eventually meet him? Uh, I, I didn't at the time. I didn't know that. Right. Um, mm. And then I heard Chris sort of talking about that. Maybe that was a possibility. Um, and that. And it and it tackle and it tackles mental illness obviously you know head on. I mean, this is a guy who you know suffers from bipolarism. Yeah. Um, how important is it to make it authentic, but also make it dramatic, mm -hmm. but also not make it a trope? Well, um, yeah, well, sure, that's the challenge of of something like this, and to make it essential to the story, not just to right. have it be there, just to be there, um, and not to exploit the the issue of of being mentally ill or or being bipolar right. but something that's that's essential to the to the narrative and to the plot um and that's where chris and his team really excel i think and how do you read a script that says you walk away from your brother knowing what they're going to do to him mm -hmm. how do how, how do you react when you read that uh, well, because everything that has come before that sentence has been so good, it's, it's just mm. what has to happen. <laughs> you know, I, you say, you say that with a laugh that scared me. Yeah. Well, no, you know, <laughs> she, you know, that that's just what it's going to be, you know, mm. and it makes, it makes sense. Um, how, where does the show go? I mean, that is, I would say probably the darkest thing that i mean there's a lot of dark things that's happened in the series but this is you know yeah. this is getting really oof. no it's a whole other level of intensity okay. there's no question yes thank you that yeah. that's the word yeah. another level could the show get any darker than that <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> but, you know hopefully hopefully it it will be something i have no idea where they'll go from here if we have the opportunity to keep going but um you know, I, I, I assume and hope that we will, um, but I, ha I have no idea. And Jason's done, done some directing. Have you thought about that? Has that ever entered your mind? You know, it's not, it's not something that sort of, I mean, never say never, certainly never say never, mm -hmm. but um, it, it's, I sort of love what I do and mm -hmm. am just happy doing that. Um, it's, it's nothing that I've really wanted to pursue. What kind of director is Jason? A really good one. <laughs> a really, really good one. 
you know, he's he's a director who who has complete understanding of what it is to be on a set. He has tremendous decades of experience of being on set. So he understands the relationship between an actor and the material and the crew and the work, the technical versus the creative. You know, he has the balance of all of it really. Um, Mm. He holds that balance really well and effort effortlessly, actually. Um, I was talking, I I was talking to my best friend the other night about the show and we were talking about Wendy and he characterized it. He said, Wendy is the heart of the show. Do you agree? Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not. Um, <laughs> I, I, I certainly have never thought of her that way, to be honest with you, but what a nice mm-hmm. compliment. I'll take it. <laughs> but I, you know, I view it as such an ensemble piece. Um, mm-hmm. And everyone, every single character is evolving at such an amazing rate. You know, they're all learning about themselves in, in ways that were unimaginable to them. Um, and they learn about each other in a ways, in ways that is frightening and exhilarating. You know, they're all doing things that they never imagined they would ever, ever do. Um, right. So it's, I really sort of see it as, as a, a really well-balanced collective that way. And now I just want to talk to you a little bit about Broadway. You obviously did um, that incredible one-woman show right before all of this craziness has happened. Yeah. How do you think Broadway, how does Broadway recover from this? I mean, just financially alone. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but mm. it will, you know, it will, mm. it will. It's just in, in human nature for, for theater to exist. Um, but it is, <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be hard and it's going to take a long time, mm-hmm. but um, mm. it will be a tremendous relief when when that part of this process starts to you know take care of itself um yeah i'm in i'm in la and i'm originally from new york so i'm a broadway kid yeah and i just can't imagine walking through broadway right now just seeing all dark houses yeah yeah it was when when they when they made the announcement that broadway would be shut down it was you know that's when the the gravity of this whole situation really hit home for any of us involved in the theater. I mean, that, for them to do that, we knew this was uh, a a monumental, that we were facing a monumental challenge. Awesome. Well, Laura, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate it. Stay safe, be well. Thank you so much. And to you, I hope everyone you know and love is okay. Thank you so much. Take care. You bet, you too. Bye-bye. That was Laura Linney. That's it for today's Big Ticket. Coming up next, on Thursday, Jane Levy, star of Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. For now, don't forget to follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at Mark Malkin. And for all the latest Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. See you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.